Hey there, I'm Gilad Barash, and welcome to Who's Your Data, the podcast that deals with how data influences life and how life influences data, the human side of data analytics. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Who's Your Data podcast. FISEC, or physical security, encompasses everything that physically protects, alerts, and monitors us, from burglar alarms to video surveillance. Unsurprisingly, this industry is also being revolutionized by AI. I spoke to Don Maroney, host of the AI FISEC Today podcast, about how AI is changing the physical security industry. They continue to think about privacy and about human and data bias, as well as how regulation affects innovation. So will Big Brother end up being a robot? Let's get to the interview. All right, so Don, welcome to the Who's Your Data podcast. How are you? Where are you calling in from? I'm good, thank you. I'm calling in from Atlanta, Georgia in the US. All right. So first of all, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got to working on physical security and AI? Yes, I started in the physical security industry going on 13 years ago. Um, I started off with a global security integrator, basically working as a local rep, territory rep, and did that for three and a half years. Then went to a cloud provider called Brevo, worked there for seven-ish years, now found my way to Honeywell. And I've kind of been there ever since. I did have a short stint, some private security companies, but the bulk of my career has been between three organizations. And right now I lead the global cloud sales team. Fun job. Um, how it kind of got into AI, I would say AI has been a part of our industry for a number of years. Um, it's been in cameras and it's found its way into various products. But when I started to pay attention more was really the advent of ChatGPT. And I remember when I first used it, I'm like, man, this stuff is absolutely amazing. Why am I not into this business, right? And I basically went back to school, did a uh, four-month program at MIT Professional Education on no-code ML and um, started a podcast. So first of all, can you tell a civilian like myself, what is PhysSec or physical security? What does that encompass in general? Yeah, so physical security involves safeguarding people, property, and assets against physical actions and events that could cause damage or loss to an organization, right? So if you think about kind of the guns, guards, and gates mentality on one side, so think of physical executive protection, or you might think of the guards that you see when you go even down to the mall level, uh, all, but all the way to, uh, in some aspects, the government, right? And so... There's the other piece of it that's technology. And I've worked only on the technology side. On the technology side, you find things that you've seen all around you. Cameras, alarm systems, right? Maybe for your home. Uh, you've seen electronic door systems. So if you ever use a card or a fob to get into a building, those systems are FISEC technology. And the list goes on, right? There's all kinds of proliferate things that exist in that space. If you've never been in that space, I can tell you it's definitely not like the crime shows you see on TV. In some cases, it's getting there, right? And the reality is, is you know, almost anything to the imagination could possibly exist if you haven't been in the space. But what are you willing to pay for it, right? And so, I'd like to focus on the area that you mentioned, as far as camera surveillance cameras. And so, I'd I'd love to focus on that area of video surveillance and computer vision. Now, traditionally, this meant that you would get recorded, and there would be a record of you being somewhere at some point doing something. And so 
Um, how does AI change this equation and what are the new capabilities that are being utilized with AI-based video surveillance these days? Yeah, I mean, if you think about even 10 years ago, video walls, as they call them, in a security operations center or sometimes a global security operations center, acronym GSOC, uh, you would see video walls that would have just screens and screens, endless screens of cameras. Everyone knew, but didn't really want to admit that often is that the human attention is not great. Um, you can probably focus on something for about 20 seconds. You lose attention, you come back. So you can imagine that having that many displays is just not really something that's effective when you have organizations, even smart cities that have to look at thousands and thousands of cameras. So sticking to the camera topic, that was one thing that AI most certainly could help with is to have a focus of attention on the things that matter, right? And usually what happens are the most important part of surveillance uh, is people. People are the ones that get into trouble. People are the ones that break in. People are the ones that do all kinds of crazy things. And so having machine learning built in into the early stages was a natural fit for people. The next one is how do people get around cars, right? Cars can make damage. They can inflict serious harm on people. Uh, they can carry uh, all sorts of things, right? And naturally that was number two. So when you saw a lot of the surveillance solutions in the early stages get machine learning built in on the edge, and then also some of that built into their the boxes that the cameras come into, in some cases called network video recorders, right? So that save people a ton of time. So if I was to see a person of interest, just a person in an image where I don't normally get an image at an odd time at night, the camera could pick that out for me. And that way, bring my attention down to what matters. And therefore, hopefully supplementing on the 20 seconds that we all we all have of attention. So that's an easy example. You know, I think about fast forwarding to today. Today, they're detecting all sorts of things, bicycles, animals, weapons, Right. And these are items that are there's so much variety of animals, right, that you could possibly pick up on. And there's a tremendous amount of data that's into that. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that AI enables security personnel rather than having to focus and watch, you know, have eyes on the screen all the time that is prone to human error to be able to focus on strategic tasks by letting AI handle the routine surveillance and probably providing insights and prioritizing alerts. And yes, that makes a lot of sense on the machine learning front as far as learning from training data, things like animals and weapons, and then being able to identify them automatically in the surveillance. Now, you mentioned earlier that you were very excited by generative AI when it came out. So can you talk a little bit about what the emerging role of generative AI is in uh, physical security? You know, and, and one thing, if I may, so going back to the ML stuff, what so you look at the security business that we're in, and it's very much, like I said, protection of property and assets and people. Yes, that's true. But there's another side to all of this. This is where generative AI comes in. So I'll stitch it back together that it helps with business agility, efficiency, operational improvements, right? That is actually, I would say, a lot where all the more, way more money goes to at least for private organizations, right? Not necessarily schools and governments, right? They do care about safety of its citizens and its students. Um, but on that private sector side, you're seeing people that look at this technology and say, 
how can I understand if my manufacturing line is being as as efficient as it possibly could be, right? I actually saw something that was used by a manufacturer for the BMW plant for that exact same thing. So they have a security video surveillance camera uh, that's looking at manufacturing lines on to drive efficiency information back to the manufacturer, right? Pretty amazing stuff. So it's not just left to the physical security side. So as we go stitch back to the generative side, what I love about generative AI, uh, and I wrote a newsletter on this in December for Security Industry Association, which is one of the top associations in the security industry, is that it brings accessibility to so many people, manufacturers, customers, consultants, uh, to really leverage it. And, and, and otherwise, in ways that machine learning just couldn't. Machine learning is very expensive, like I said earlier, time-consuming to build. And so you could take generative AI, incorporate it into products. Today, what we're seeing is kind of an overlay. Think of it like an umbrella use, right? Normally, what we've seen a lot's in the cloud, but I think the next version is going to be this nano gen AI that's going to live on the edge, which I'm really excited about because I think that's going to allow pretty much every camera and allow every manufacturer to put on almost every intelligent ed edge device, artificial intelligence. So I think the future of this is uh, super positive. Um, and I think that if we can stay on the one side, keeping people property safe, I think we'd all be in favor of that, of leveraging AI, any chance that we can get against our focus of attention in the right places to protect people. On the other side is now I have more ability in that respect to drive efficiency in an organization because AI is more accessible. And so there's that aspect, right? So when we think about what happens in the cloud, we're seeing this a lot. Um, even Honeywell's doing this with a product called Forge, uh, is they're allowing all these data points to come back into a singular area. And whether that's HVAC systems, like building management systems, um, it could be obviously camera systems, electronic access control systems, uh, intrusion systems, these burglar alarm systems, Whatever it is, it's basically inputs into a cloud. And you're going to allow that customer to have the ability to siphon through all kinds of questions that necessarily, let's say that a uh, Tableau or a business intelligent tool uh, would otherwise require them to make something. You know, in this case, I could type in with natural language processing a command and then it could send me back some information across all of my locations. I mean, it's really powerful stuff that you can that you can have here just by layering something on top of that. But I do want to I do want to say that for anyone that is testing or exploring Gen AI, it's not just picking an open AI playground and connecting the API. You have to have the API to be used in the real world to be explainable, to have governance, and uh, really to hopefully in that case remove some biases too. We're seeing that uh, there's been some organization, someone on my podcast in an earlier uh, session that talked about a fast food chain that incorporated GNI really early in their process, which hey, kudos to them for being innovative, but they resulted in a multi-million dollar lawsuit. And that's you know to be vague, but the point is, is you have to be responsible with GNAI. With machine learning, it's a little easier because it's purpose-built. I got a camera that's meant to see a person, meant to see how my manufacturing line's going or whatever. Um, when I put in a large language model, I have to make sure I understand that it's not a black box, that I understand where that data is coming from. I'm not too sure where a lot of the manufacturers are getting their Gen AI, they're using it today, if I was being honest, but I would love to see those security white papers. Uh, but what I would say to that though, I, I've seen, I'm starting to see that it's becoming easier for companies to make their own large language models, which is really intriguing to me because it allows everyone to get in this space. I mean, there's thousands of them that exist today, 
but there's really the main flagship ones like Llama. You've got now Gemini. They rebranded Bar to Gemini. Of course, OpenAI, right? That's leading the ship on this. And there will be many more. IBM's got Granite. I think a lot of companies are looking towards a large, at least bigger companies are looking towards the large organizations like the Microsofts and the IBMs to give them that responsible, explainable AI to limit their liability. And I would certainly expect that any manufacturer going back to physical security space would do the same. Um, But I think that's something that I I would imagine we'd have to get to. You mentioned this, but let's talk about some ethical issues. First Mm -hmm. of all, first and foremost, I think what, you know, everybody's first question is going to be is around privacy. How do you see privacy play into this? And what are the differences between private organizations using this technology versus the public sector and government, like Mm -hmm. schools and the police? Yeah, so privacy concerns revolve around you know, unauthorized surveillance and data collection. And I would say when you look at unauthorized surveillance, just basic stuff is you might walk into a store and says that you're being videotaped. In some jurisdictions around the world, that's required. Not only that, but also especially with audio, there's states here in the US that if you don't have signage on the audio, you can you can um, be in a legal situation, right? And so I think that organizations have to be very forthcoming about what they're doing. Uh, they have to get buy-in if it's a private organization or public. Um, I think when you get to certain public organizations like schools or state-owned property, I think people may give up a little bit of that privacy just to safeguard all of us that are in a common area. Schools is a touchy point, right? I mean, if there's one aspect where if there's a lot of mass shootings, we could say to hedge against that, we want to put a lot of tech inside schools. But the other side says, what is this doing to the children, right? Do they feel like they're growing up in, you know, a uh, state penitentiary, a jail, right? Do they feel too enclosed? How does that affect their learning capability? You know, what does that do to their impressions of the world as they grow up? They expect to see cameras everywhere, right? Expect to walk through metal detectors. And so it really is a balance, I think, that people have to make with with this. And and I've seen privacy decisions come as a balance of convenience and security. So you use an example of an airport, right? The airport takes all these images of your personal belongings that they don't hold them, right? But they're going through, as you're going through the airport, these images that are seen, you know, yourself and also your things. I don't think anyone has any problem with that process because they certainly want to have a safe plane ride, Right. That's the exchange I'm talking about is to say, I'm okay with giving away what I say, convenience, this level of privacy to get this level of security. There is an aspect of what's ethical and what's not though. When we talk about that balance that I said earlier, a lot of it is uh, someone in the organization has to make that decision. I do always lean to the point of how do I protect people, property and assets, um, and then leave it to the customer to decide what level of privacy concerns they'll have. Now, one other issue that you mentioned, I think that has to do with ethics is around bias in the data and in algorithms, which is a big issue in general with automated systems and AI. The classic cases of bias with image recognition that we've heard of is, you know, people could get profiled and wrongly stopped by police. How do these systems deal with this bias and how do manufacturers deal with this bias? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's been some manufacturers, let's just say, that uh, have already incorporated some of this and that I think was swiftly removed in the US. You're going to hit bias when you start to search for gender, things like gender, race, ethnicity, anything that would bias someone 
by providing these options of what is available, again, it's going to be up to the customer on what they decide of, of what level bias do they want. I do think that when the cameras, let's say in this example, are in a public setting, you run all sorts of risks by holding a system like that. The easiest thing is leave it down to people detection, vehicle detection, just the core detection, you know, guns detection, the core things that you need to do. Um, even in some aspects, using uh, probabilistic uh, algorithms or anomaly detection to understand what's unusual in an image. All of these things can help people get down to what they're looking for without having bias that's included. I would argue that there could be simply from you know the training data. If it isn't, mm-hmm. if there is bias mm-hmm. in the training data, then by, inherently there will be bias in the in the results, and so mm-hmm. it behooves corporations or whoever's mm-hmm. building the AI mm-hmm. to make sure that the data is fully representative of the population. Yeah, that was spot on. You're absolutely right. Because garbage in, garbage out, for right. sure, right? I mean, the data set, and, uh, and that's some of the stuff I know, I know that your world comes from the data. And I would say that a lot of companies, as they get even into the process of AI, have to start the modernization process. They've got their data in all sorts of different formats in different places. So, so that brings me to the next question and that, you know, as far as knowing what they're putting in there and mm-hmm. what's happening goes to speak on regulation. So what does regulation look like in the industry? Now, I know that in general, as you mentioned, Europe is leading the way in regulation for mm-hmm. AI. Is that true for physical security as well? I know that recently the European Union passed a set of provisional rules for governing the use of AI in biometric surveillance and AI systems. Is that something that you see ultimately applying in the US as well? Yeah, you know, when biometrics kicked off many years ago, uh, there was definitely some indifferences. Uh, I've seen customers get sued over having biometrics in retail stores. You know, cameras get pulled down due to having facial recognition built in. I don't know that the US is really at a place where they have, I would say, as specific uh, as EU or as far along as EU is. I mean, EU has certainly been a pioneer for a lot of things related into the IT or, or data space. I mean, look at GDPR. The I think the best frameworks we have around cyber protection, which is not necessarily, I mean, I guess in some sense it could be privacy, is uh, National Institute of Standards Technology or NIST. And that's a framework that's used uh, to protect confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the data. But I would imagine that, and they may already have this, and I'm not aware of it, but that they're going to start updating this relation to AI. But the question I would wonder is how much of that is a requirement, right? I mean, the EU is no stranger to say this is this is law. Uh, you, I mean, you look at GDPR, for example. I mean, these people, if they are not in compliance, they could lose percentages of their gross profit, right? So it's it's pretty serious, right? And here, um, I think I think there's a there's a balance, though. Again, of going back to regulation and growth, right? Like the U.S., for example, sure. is a very capitalist country, right? So we want to just be the best or have you know the latest or whatever it is. But we also, to say that we need to regulate it, I think that should definitely exist to protect our people. But I think there needs to be an aspect where does it slow down progress of the technology? There was this discussion of doing a a moratorium on AI Mm -hmm. development, which I don't think was really sincere in any way. I think it was more the bigger Mm -hmm. companies trying to pull the ladder up behind them so that the uh, smaller companies couldn't catch up. I agree that 
there is the balance in the U.S. being more capitalist and more innovation driven and given the room for innovation, we're not seeing as much regulation versus on the European side that is a little bit more um, take care of everybody first. I don't think that slowing down innovation is necessarily a bad thing when it comes for the purpose of protecting society. You know, for example, looking at today, the the reckoning that we have with social media and how it affects children. The paradigm was, uh, you know, build fast and break things. And uh, we broke a lot of things. So I, I, I guess that's a, that's, an, that's a discussion for another episode of um, what that right balance is between innovation and regulation. And speaking of that, what in your mind are the innovations that these technologies are going to make possible in the near future? Where do you see physical security and AI going? And are they going to be used for any other use cases, like you mentioned, retail, you know, and retail customer behavior or anything like that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I see that there will be a combination of uh, devices that will have Gen AI at minimum on the edge. One thing down the road, probably a lot down the road, of when they commercialize quantum computing, if they can get that down to the size of a chip and not have to run on net zero, which is, you know, basically is colder in space. Um, that's that's a future that is just super exciting. I mean, because what happens when they say an image gives you, you know, so many words, a camera can give you so much more. And I think a camera will enable us to honestly put intrusion or bird alarm systems will be a thing of the past. Hmm. Um, the, the AI detection will become so good um, because one statistic for your audience that isn't in this space, when you have an alarm that goes off, let's say in your house or let's say in a business, 98% of those alarms generally are false positives or basically they're not a real security event or a real breach. What they've done around the world is they've paired surveillance camera footage along with that alarm to verify if that was a real alarm event. They call it alarm verification. So the reality is with, and that was, that's basically taking camera motion or maybe an image of a person and then also taking the input and output device, let's call a door that breaks open or glass that breaks open. But you fast forward to, they can already do this right now. But one thing that I can definitely see changing is that they could underwrite our laboratories or the, the the ability to monitor, let's just say, an alarm system in a way that your insurance company is okay with. I think that's going to evolve to go into the camera side, ultimately, because 98% of it's not real. They need a camera to verify the 98%. And why not just have cameras do it in the first place? But, you know, so it's a, I would say... I don't know that we can get there quickly. I mean, it can do it today. The problem is it has to get past regulation to become more acceptable. Mm -hmm. And what's great about that is customers can now use cameras, not just to replace costs and intrusion systems, but again, to do more. So if I'm a retail owner, I want to understand where my customers are buying the most around a store. Now that's accessible today, but it's not cheap to get that. But I can see that that could go down even to the small business owner that runs a B2, uh, uh, like a really uh, a boutique shop, right? That could afford to do something to give them the information that empowers them to be successful. So again, it goes back to the accessibility thing that I mentioned before, uh, is that it's almost everyone's AI, not just limited to the few that could build machine learning models. Yeah, um, it will definitely democratize the use of all of these uh, methodologies. And it'll be interesting to see 
you know, sky's the limit of where they can be utilized. One thing I know for sure is that those ring doorbell videos we see on social media are mm -hmm. going to be wild. They already are wild. If you watch yes. any of the crazy ones and those companies, especially Google too, and Amazon will do the same thing, but they're going to get better. The edge tech's going to get better. And we now we're talking about mostly about physical security, but I also look very much outside of physical security too. I mean, cameras can exist for more than more than just that. But I think about what you said there when it talks about what's happening at the home. There's a idea called the consumerization of product that basically said what normally happens at your home is going to evolve itself to go into the business and to the commercial, small business, commercial, then to the enterprise. And what happened, and that's been the case, like ring happened. And I remember when I around those early stages, when I started my career to in the security industry, I was positioning a giant version of the ring, like this industrial thing, because that's as good as the industry could get at the time. It was like, it's like seven grand, right? And I remember a customer said, Don, why would I buy this when I can get this ring thing for like 200 bucks? And I'm like, I don't know. You should just use the ring thing, right? You could say it's a shirt, but the reality is it, it pushes the envelope for tech companies, especially in the physical security industry, because we tend to be behind about five years. Usually we're very conservative on what we release just due to our DNA, kind of being the guns, guards, and gates for a lot of it. But that's evolving, right? We're really turning into a IT industry, or in some cases as internet or industrial internet of things, technology industry. Yeah, I think it, it's an interesting point that you make that definitely pushes the uh, industry when this kind of technology gets commoditized and new innovation comes up. Don, this has been a really, really great conversation. Thank you so much for joining it. If people want to look you up or find out more about your podcast, where can they find you? Um, sure. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can search my name, Don Marone, says D-O-N-M-O-R-R-O-N. Feel free to connect with me. The podcast is called AI FISEC Today. That's A-I space P-H. Y-S-E-C space today. And yeah, connect with me. Certainly we're looking for podcast guests all the time. Every episode has an industry leader, uh, anywhere from consultants and users, some security integrators and manufacturers. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, thanks for joining us today and listening to this episode. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed, send them to whosyourdatanow at gmail.com. That's who's your data now, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks and see you next time on Who's Your Data?